Okay, we're back in the studio in the capital city of Austin, Texas. This is bringing light into darkness, and we are visiting with Melinda St. Louis. She's the director of the Public Citizens Medicare for All campaign. She's elucidating some basic facts about delivery system elements of our existing healthcare environment system versus what other countries have been doing and already have been doing. I noticed when I was looking up information about you, well, you grew up in West Virginia, but you also were very interested in raising awareness about the Trans-Pacific Partnership death sentence clause that would lock in extended monopolies for biologic medicines needed to treat cancer of a, of a friend of yours. And I don't want to get into any kind of personal stories, but the, the larger story and the most important element here is that in for-profit types of entities, it's just, it's like oil and water, you know, when you mix the two and you're trying to provide for the public. So the Trans-Pacific Partnership, I remember very clearly, it was done in secret almost total secretness. There was a lot of things that occurred and moved very, very rapidly that prioritized these type of corporate interests over the private individual interests. And I also just wanted to remark that for people that are not familiar, Public Citizen has been around for some time, and they have done really important work pointing out some of the contradictions that just never make it to the New York Times or the even the most kind of more progressive newspapers like that, as well as others. But I remember there was Purdue Frederick was found guilty of misbranding Oxycontin, and three of their top executives got misdemeanor charges of misbranding. Essentially withholding the addictive dangers of prolonged use of their product. And there's some 736 million dollar settlement, but it was only after making billions of dollars over many years selling this product and stuff. So I just think it is so important to understand that behind the scenes, there are these huge influences of not just corporations, but the lobbying that goes on that allowed Purdue to be a reoffender recently in the news on this very, very same subject. So as you elucidate these things that you've been talking about, is there legislation as well in addition to the Medicare Act of 2019 that seeks to mitigate this overwhelming economic power at the detriment of the welfare of our majority population that your team is aware of? Yes, in fact, so Public Citizen also has a very strong program in addition to the work that we're doing on Medicare for All, which um, is critically important, and I, I, you know, I look forward to explaining uh, more about about that legislation. But also, uh, as you mentioned, pharmaceutical pricing in the United States is, is one of the key issues that would be addressed by Medicare for All, but that we also need to kind of address in a parallel way. And there is legislation um, that actually Representative Lloyd Doggett um, from from Texas has been a champion of that we have uh, been very supportive of to allow Medicare, current Medicare, to negotiate drug prices with the pharmaceutical companies. I mean, perhaps it would it like is jaw dropping that pharmaceutical companies managed to sneak in to legislation this sweetheart deal that meant that the largest purchaser of prescription drugs in the world, which Mm -hmm. is Medicare, is by law not allowed to negotiate the prices with these pharmaceutical companies. They have to accept any price that the pharmaceutical company gives them and then purchase that 
allowing them to charge literally whatever they want for for um, pharmaceutical uh, for prescription drugs and that's why in the United States you can look across different drugs or medicines that people need to take and we spend five times, 10 times, 20 times more for some medicines than, than our peer countries spend for the same medicines. And the pharmaceutical lobby in the United States spends by far more than any other industry in lobbying dollars in the United States, more than the defense industry, more than oil and gas. And that is because their entire business model is based on getting government-granted monopolies so they can charge mm-hmm. whatever they want for as long as they want. We have a patent yeah. system that's being extraordinarily abused mm-hmm. by, by, these, by these companies. And that's why we are um, spending hundreds of billions of dollars more a year than we should be spending for for medicine and people are dying because they can't afford these they're expensive cutting drugs. they're cutting corners but just back to your point if you can elaborate more a little bit more about this whole thing about where people try to scare the american public from these socialism types of things where in fact we do not even have fair trade you know we have free trade we have monopoly capitalism as you've indicated where you have the interest of a very elite few based on their enormous resources able to influence Congress or congressional laws in such a way that, as you said, the biggest group of people that has the greatest buying power, Medicare, in a fair market, if it was a fair market system, would be able to negotiate a more reasonable price. And as a result, you're saying we have 5 to 10 to 20 times greater costs for the very same medications. Can you talk a little bit more about, I want to get back and share your expertise on the whole issue of Medicare. What would you say are the main misconceptions that are being promoted that you most often run into based on this kind of information vacuum that seems to be occurring with not getting adequate information that's fair out there to the American public. But when you look at the Medicare for All Act of 2019, it was just introduced in the House a a, a year ago, I think in February of 2019. Can you tell us a little bit more about the importance of it and and the misperceptions that still continue to frighten so many people away from Medicare? What are some of the false beliefs that you think are attached to that? Well, so there is a, I encourage listeners to look up Wendell Potter, who is uh, is one of our key allies now, but he used to work for Cigna. He was a high, he was a public relations executive for Cigna, uh, one of the key uh, largest uh, health insurers in the country. And his job was to actually pump out the misinformation about Medicare for All. And he had an epiphany at one point where he realized that he was on the wrong side of history and has now become a whistleblower and is actually telling the truth now about the fact that these health insurance companies know that they're lying, and yet they're putting out talking points that work, that scare people. Right. So some of this, the, the talking points that are put out there, as you mentioned, it was government takeover of health care, when in fact, um, and it's socialism. And, you know, in the United States, we have this, you know, it's like a boogeyman idea of socialism. There is nothing more socialist about this than 
do people think the post office is a good idea? Do people think public schools are a good idea? Hopefully. So, I mean, you know, I know that there's like a, 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 an attempt to take away some of those things. But this is a matter of providing the most basic of human rights so that we all have the opportunity to flourish and the whole idea of pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. You cannot do that if you are not alive because you don't have basic health care. And what Medicare for All would do, it would still have private delivery of health care. It is not government providing health care. It is your same doctor, it's private doctors, it's private hospitals, but the only thing that changes is the color of the insurance card that you have that just says that you are now covered by Medicare. So who pays the bill, right, is, is what changes. Doctors will not be government employees. It is an... an and in fact, it puts doctors and hospitals more at the center of deciding about health, about care than the current system. And they also throw out this absolute lie about choice, saying that people want to be able to choose and that this would be taking away their choice because people want to be able to choose their health insurance. Tell me how many people get to choose in a meaningful way what their health insurance is. Almost nobody right? Mm -hmm. You get your health insurance, if you're lucky, through your employer. Maybe they have a couple of plans you can choose from. You might not. You probably get what you get. If you lose your job, you lose your insurance. And then if you're really lucky and you have all that choice on the marketplace, you are completely overwhelmed and, and unable to make these kinds of outrageous choices. The choice people want is the choice to go to the doctor or hospital of their choice. And they would have vastly more choice under Medicare for All because there would be no more networks. You know how you always have to call and you have to look on the website and see if this doctor is in your network? That would cease to exist because every doctor would be in the network. If you're traveling and you get sick when you're on vacation, you don't have to worry about figuring out if your insurance is going to cover it when you go to the doctor in, you know, in a different state. It would all be covered. So in terms of choice, Medicare for All is absolute freedom of choice in a way that we do not have now. And then the other just absolute misconception that we've already talked about in lie that's being put out is that we can't afford Medicare for all. Well, we already talked about the numbers. We can't afford our current system. Our current system is what is bankrupting a half a million families a year because of medical debt. Our current system is what's driving a causing our economy to be weighted down by almost, it, you know, 18% of GDP, as you said, it's going to keep going up. Um, and and, and that our system, is what's and, expensive. And our system yep. results in less life expectancy, more anxiety, more stress, Absolutely. poor quality of life for, for so many people that don't die much less those that we documented at the beginning of the show. So these are very powerful statistics that you've been sharing. Let me ask you to comment, on, and I didn't mean to, to interrupt your flow there, but I wanted to make sure, I think this issue of socialism as a scare tactic is really substantial. And I think one of the great counters to that is the fact that all of this basic research that's done for and on behalf of the pharmaceuticals is done by yours and mine tax dollars through NIH and et cetera and stuff. So, so can you explain how the benefits that the drug companies get 
from all of our taxes, our tax money, our public funding, which is a form of so, you know a social funding, and then they turn around and are able to kind of like take, get the needle out of the haystack because of all of this basic research that's not paid by them but paid by us. They get some this big huge jump start down the path of of discovering some of these drugs, and then when they finally get it to market, we are not shareholders; <laughs> they are the sole owners of and, and make all of the the profits. None of that is passed to the American consumer. Therefore, our prices are the 5, 10, 20 times greater that you alluded to earlier. Well, that's that's exactly right. Just take, for example, so, you know, we're, we started this show and, you know, we're all living in, in the context of the coronavirus pandemic. We know that it's absolutely critical for us to get a vaccine as soon as we possibly can, right? Right. Um, since 2002, U.S. taxpayers have spent nearly $700 million in basic research on coronaviruses and to develop coronavirus vaccines. So we have already spent, in terms of research and development, $700 million as our ta- taxpayers. As you mentioned, we and the U.S. government has, has now provided new subsidies to several private companies, Johnson & Johnson, Regeneron, and Sanofi for COVID-19. So we have already subsidized. We have, uh, we're spending, as you mentioned, through the National Institutes of Health, also through public universities is where a lot of this basic research comes from. And then we just give it, basically give it to these private companies. Mm-hmm. And then they use the, these government-granted monopolies to then price gouge all of us, and to price gouge patients. And when you talk about price gouging, you think of that, you know, in the context of regular consumer goods, it's outrageous. But when you're doing that, when it's literally life and death for people, there is no price that people will not pay, right? I mean, if they can. And that's why you see people going on GoFundMe, and you have a quarter of a million GoFundMe campaigns a year for people begging to their friends and family and strangers to help them scrape together money to be able to pay for these drugs. So it's basically, there's no negotiation. It's like a gun to your head. Are you going to pay or are you going to die? Right. And, um, and that, so that's the business model. And, um, and, you know, what is absolutely critical, and I think what's laying bare now, is that when we're looking at a public health emergency like this, it's no longer, a, you know, an individual. This is, it matters for all of us that even poor people, even people on the margins get treated, because if they don't, then then we have a pandemic that means that we can all suffer when we have a deadly disease. So mm-hmm. I think we're starting to see, I mean, there were actually some articles last week that were saying the GOP actually believes in Medicare for all, but just for this one disease, because they're starting to realize that we have to have, this we have to have disease. poor people yeah, able yeah. to access vaccines for this. Well, listen, we need to take our last break here real quick. So please hang on. And we're visiting with, Melinda St. Louis, who's been providing us great insights into the dynamics of information everyone needs. Without it, you cannot have an informed understanding and consent or non-consent of what is transpiring in our healthcare environment. This is 91.7 KOOP Hornsby Austin. This is bringing light into darkness. This is Pedro Gatos, your host, along with my host, Bob Daly. We'll be back right after this. Hey, listen, we are with Melinda St. Louis. Melinda, you you mentioned something right before the break that I wanted for you to refocus on, if you would, 
a couple things. One was this GoFundMe. It's always disturbed me when I'm up late at night sometimes trying to find some mindless movie to watch to get my mind off of these more important things that we've been talking about. And all of these all of these advertisements come on to, you know, these horrific conditions that are being created throughout the world and people need your help and pull out your wallet and send money now to help, you know, this type of thing. And it's just the the incredible wealth disparity that we have that results in these things is where those monies should be coming from. And Oxfam has put out a report earlier this year that talks about trillions of unpaid labor that women do in the in, in, in the world to, to kind of mitigate some of these issues and such. But this whole thing, can you talk a little bit more about many people's insurance program is the GoFundMe? And can you talk a little bit about that? Right. So crowdfunding has become now one of the top ways that people are paying for health care in the United States. And I don't think there's anyone who possibly would think that that is a good way to fund critical life and death health care. But that's exactly what's happening. So GoFundMe, which is you know one of the private crowdfunding sites, last year there were 250,000 people who launched GoFundMe campaigns for health care, for medical expenses. There was a recent report that came out that showed that actually it was in the millions of people have um, have contributed to, have been, or have launched these cam- crowdfunding campaigns or have uh, for themselves or for other people. And, you know, what's important to note is that more than 90% of those campaigns do not meet their goal. So there, it's not working in terms of being able to get charity to be able to um, fund these exorbitant health care costs. Mm-hmm. But it's a real indictment on our system. You know, I, I also just wanted to mention that, that we, you know, we've been talking about how in the United States we have just high on insurance. But Texas particularly is actually the crisis even, is even more acute that in Texas, one in five Texans, so 20% of Texans as opposed to the national average, does not have health insurance. Mm-hmm. So that's the highest of any state. And there are near there are 835,000 uninsured children in Texas. And so this is, particularly for your listeners, Medicare for all would be absolutely critical for, for health outcomes locally in Texas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so... Also, as we get kind of close to wrapping things up, so hopefully our conversation today has stimulated the interest in in, in listeners to pursue more information and to get the sourcing of so many of these important insights that you shared over the air this past hour. What would be some websites that might provide that type of information and or have links to other websites to to get a better educated public-generated yeah, so there's a lot of information out there. There's a broad movement. Public Citizen is really just one organization that that has been that of a broad coalition that includes organized labor, that includes the National Nurses United, the largest nurses union, is one of the leaders on this. Physicians for a National Health Program, or uh, 
20,000 doctors around the United States that are fighting for this. So um, it's a broad coalition. I'll give a couple of websites that I, that coalition websites I'd recommend people going to. There's a massive movement to pass city and county council resolutions in support of Medicare for All, including some uh, efforts in Texas. And people can learn more about that. That's at Medicare number four, all resolutions.org. So that's Medicare for number four, all resolutions.org. Also, there's Public Citizen has um, our website is citizen.org. And if you go backslash Medicare for All, um, there's lots and lots of information about both the policy and, and the movement and the politics about how organizations are working to, to build the support and to, and to tell the truth, like what you're doing tonight, which is really important because the corporations that are profiting off of the status quo, they're spending millions of dollars. Just one example, in in Iowa, you know, one of the first primary states, half of the the political ads that were on the airwaves in Iowa throughout the summer were attack ads on Medicare for All from the insurance companies. Um, so millions and millions of dollars are being spent to confuse people. But, but we know even from the inside, as I mentioned, uh, former PR... Uh, uh, folks from the insurance industry are saying they know this is not true, and yet they're putting out this misinformation to scare people because they know that as soon as we win this legislation, and I believe that the American people are moving towards that, we're seeing exit polls across the board have shown majority support for Medicare for All. It's becoming a more and more popular idea, and as soon as we get that, it will. There will never be any going back because mm-hmm. what you see in these other countries that have managed to achieve this is that conservatives, liberals, everyone agrees that having basic levels of health care is what you need, and for everyone to have a shot to actually be able to participate in a capitalist society. Yeah, and we just have a minute or two left, but I, I know that you're a, a nonpartisan group, and, and certainly we are too here at the station. But there was quite a back and forth between Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden last night on the debate, and I'm wondering if there's anything that you found that either of them said that was you know, egregiously misleading about uh, Medicare for All. Well, I mean, I think as we've said before, there there are talking points that are out there that have been pretty powerful. And the idea that we might not be able to afford Medicare for all is something that it just is not borne out in what economists have have modeled there. Mm-hmm. There are 250 of the mo- world of the country's most prominent economists had an open letter saying Medicare for all, a single payer system like Medicare for all, is by far the most uh, economically feasible way for us to provide health care uh, for people in the United States. Given everything that we've said, our, all of the administrative waste, all of the profit that currently exists, and this idea that people like their health insurance just doesn't bear out. People like their doctors, people like their hospitals and their healthcare providers, and that's what we need to prioritize, not a greedy insurers that I'd say a lot of the people who think they like their insurance haven't had to use it, haven't gotten sick. And as soon as they do, that's when they learn that a big piece of what that business model is, is to deny the care that their doctors are mm-hmm. prescribing for them. And people are dying sooner than they would have otherwise because their doctors aren't able to provide them with the treatments that they know they need mm-hmm. because private insurers are denying that. 
care. Very good. And that's exactly what the clinical evidence has been putting out and that, that we included in the show content. Listen, I want to thank you so much for your, the work that you do. I know it's you're fighting an uphill battle, but it sounds to me like it's starting to flatten out, hopefully like the coronavirus is. And uh, I just want to say that we've had the great pleasure of visiting with Melinda St. Louis. She's the director of the Public Citizens Medicare for All campaign for the past 20 years. Melinda's led multiple campaigns challenging those types of interests that uh, short-circuit public interests, namely corporate power and those things. And so if you want to follow more work on the subject, Public Citizens Medicare for All uh, campaign is, is certainly a place that I found very solid information. So thank you, Melinda, so much for being our guest tonight. I'd love to stay in contact with you and have you back on. We've just kind of cracked the egg on the subject, and there's much more to talk about. So thank you so much for, your, for all your work and time. Yeah, well, thank you so much. And I really, uh, for everyone who's listening, please stay safe, wash your hands, uh, practice social distancing right now. It's a really critical time, and we need to all work together. We're all literally in this together, and I think that's what we're seeing now, and that's why we need to have policies that benefit all of us and not just a few people. All right. Thank you, and good night. Hey.